KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzay Torah. You are listening to the Arab Shabbat program, Arab Shabbat Kodesh, Parashat, Noach, Hechashan. You're listening to the Arab Shabbat program with your host, Jonathan Snowbell. The Arab Shabbat program is Lulu, Nishmat Shalma Yosef, and Chaim Shmuel. Just a reminder to all of our listeners in Eretz Yisrael on Saturday night. We will begin saying Vitain Talamatar Libracha. Those of you out there who are concerned that Israel's water crisis has already reached a emergency levels, and we don't need to wait till two months of little or no rain to start saying the Tefillah for Atiyat Kshamim. I think it is legitimate to say it even immediately. And just remember that if you think this is radical, the Sfaradim and their Nusachatvila, they pretty much say Va'anenu. Pretty much, in other words, it's not exactly Va'anenu, but in their Birkat Shanim, they have a much, much longer Nusach in the winter. And and it's pretty much comparable to Vanenu to the extent that they don't have anything to add if there is an Atiyat Kshamim because their Tefillah includes everything. And uh, in the spirit of uh, rain coming down, and lots of it, of Parshat Noach, we hope that there is a rainy season in Eretz Yisrael, which is a rich rainy season, but a uh, rainy season which is Libracha. And moving on from that to our next topic. I decided this week to look in a little bit into the transformation that happens to mankind in the aftermath of the Mabul, the flood. And that is that previous to the Mabul, to the flood, mankind was not permitted to eat meat. Adam HaRishon was told on the sixth day of creation I've given you the grass that grows everywhere and the trees that's for you to, to eat for you and our relationship to to the chayatar, to the animals, are We should have dominion over the, the fish of the sea and the birds and all the animals. But what we're given to eat are is veg- our vegetation, trees, plants, grass. However, after the mabul, we read. Not the same dominion, but rather your fear shall be upon the animals and birds. And they shall be given in your hands. Any living being is for you to eat like the vegetation 
of the grass, I've given you everything. Okay, so here there's a clear transformation, whereas previously, Adam HaRishon was not given permission to eat any animals. Now, Noach and his sons have been given permission to become meat eaters. So, the question is why? So, one classic approach says this is a reward for for the Noah's efforts on behalf of the animals to save them in the ark and he gets he gets the animals now they're his they're his to to eat as a reward but we'd like to think if there was uh, some reason that God didn't want uh, animals to be eaten by man that it doesn't just go away as a reward for a good action you know if uh, if I don't want my kid to watch TV because I think it's bad for him or it's inappropriate, then I won't say, well, you did your homework, I'll let you watch TV. If I think TV is okay in, uh, in small amounts, then, then then that would be a legitimate thing to say. Uh, let's get a better example. <laughs> if I think it's bad for my kid to beat up his sister, then I st- won't say to him, well, if you did your homework... Or if you were nice to your sister, more precisely, because that's more close to our example. If you are nice to your sister, then I'll let you beat her up. If you saved your sister, you grabbed her just as the car was coming and you took her out of the way, now you can beat her up. Same thing here. If there, there's some sort of moral issue or problem or something that's supposed to be set up here within the relationship between man and the animals, man and God, which precludes man from eating meat then the fact that he did something good shouldn't allow him to then eat. So, it's very famous that Rav Cook, and now we're moving into the second answer, has a article called Chazon Hatim Chonut Shalom, the vision of vegetarianism and peace, in which he basically states that indeed what, is, has, what has happened here is a transformation in man's moral standings, transformation for the worse. Within this transformation for the worse, man previously was held to a high standard where he wasn't allowed to eat animals, he wasn't allowed to touch the animals, but as a result, according to the way Rav Cook explains it, he when he had needed avenues for immorality or for letting out aggression, let's put it that way, he let out aggression against his fellow men. And that led to the Mabul. So therefore, God decides to admit to man's failing and say, if you need to take out aggression, we'll let you eat meat. Don't take it out against your fellow man. Take it out against the animals. In which case, Rav Cook also says that this is a Bidi Eved situation. This is not a good situation, this is a bad situation, and and we should strive really to come back to a place where man needs not to take his aggression out against animals or against anybody, and therefore he does not need to be a vegetarian, pardon me, he does not need to be a meat eater, and he can go back to being a, a vegetarian. There's a third explanation, and this explanation 
pardon me, let's go back to another third more practical explanation. And that is, I believe, of Shimshon Ophel Hirsch, who claims that the world, uh, based on Pasuk at the end of Perakhet, Od which is saying something about the seasons of the year coming into place. Zera, Katsir, when we plant, or we cut. Cold, hot, summer, winter. Some sort of division of the seasons into six six seasons in the year. And our Shem Shalom says, look, before the Mabul, there weren't these seasons, and therefore the land was temperate all the time, and therefore all vegetation was available throughout the year. And man could get all the different combinations of proteins that he needed from the, from the plants. However, now, post the Mabul, there are these different seasons of the year, including winter, where it's impossible to grow this vegetation, and therefore we need supplements from meat. Well, there's two problems with the Rav Shem Shalom Hirsch says. The implication of the Pasuk is, Od kol what happened during the Mabul, it sounds like the, the, the seasons are returning to place, not that the, the seasons are coming into place as a new development in the world, but rather old things are coming back into place. And that's Rashi's opinion, because included in the Pasuk is, And the night and the day will not stop. And clearly there was night and day before the Mabul. Perhaps during the Mabul there was no concept of night and day when everybody is stuck into an ark and it's dark because it's rained and there's clouds and there's just no concept of seasons when the world is covered in water. Again, we would like to think that well, what's the reason that God had to invent seasons according to Rav Shem Hirsch after the Mabul? And that being the case, well, if this was again a moral standing that man shouldn't eat meat, then why, just because of a technicality of having to introduce seasons, should uh, man now be eating meat? Another explanation I just got exposed to this past week, which uh, is comes from uh, Ravioni Grossman, is something which I like because it connects to something in the Psukim. And that is the relationship of of man over the animals, towards the animals. If in Parshat Bereshit, when man is created, we use the word Urdu Bidgat Hayam Shamayim which is translated, and you'll have dominion over the fish of the sea. Dominion is a word that is one of leadership of, perhaps, uh, ruling a kingdom. In other words, man is depicted as king of the king of the beasts, if you may. He is the king of all the animals. The king of the animals one who is king over his subjects is responsible for his subjects. He does not kill them. He does not eat them. He is responsible for them. He has to take care of them. Therefore, it's inappropriate for a man who is king of the beasts, if you will, king of the world, king of, the, king of all living things, to be eating his subjects. 
uh, we we talk about rulers who kill their own subjects as totalitarian regimes, regimes, not uh, good good rulers. However, man lost his morality. He during and in, in the years preceding the Mabul, and therefore he was removed from his throne by God. And the new relationship in the beginning of Peretet says, "Umarachem v'tchitchem yiyal kol chayat haaretz." And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. You will have some sort of superiority, but not as one who has dominion, but rather, rather one who's you know you're you're smarter, you have abilities for technology, so the animals of the earth will fear you, but. You don't have dominion over them. Now that you don't have dominion over them, you can you are one of them, and being one of them, just like the other animals eat each other, you can eat the animals too. You are no longer their king and patron who have to take care of them, you're separate from them. Now this sets up another result, and that is that one last question that I'd like to deal with in this parsha, which here I'm just going to give one direction, but really leave it up for further thinking, and that is why does God promise at the end of the Mabul that he won't bring another Mabul? What justifies this? If the world is evil and it needs to be destroyed, why shouldn't it be destroyed? In fact, the Ramam in Hilchot Shuva, he discusses the possibility of an individual being too sinful needing to be wiped out, a city, a country, and the world. And he doesn't say, but this can't happen anymore. He just says, you know, if the world is more evil than it is good, the world has to be destroyed, like happened in the Mabul. And indeed, why does God promise that? No, no more no more Mabuls. Why should this be so? So within uh, Rav Yoni's explanation, then, is that when man has dominion over the world, and man is immoral, and man is destroying the world and making it a bad place, the subjects of the world will go down with the king. And the world is destroyed because it's man's world, and man destroyed the world morally, so the world is destroyed. Once man is no longer in his place of dominion, so then there's no reason to destroy the world, there's no reason to destroy the world because of man. Because man is just one of the subjects of the world now. If the lions were to be immoral, there's no reason to destroy the whole world because of the lions. Similarly, man now who no longer has dominion, but is just one of the creations of the world, creations of the uh, uh, living beings of the world, there's no justification to destroy the world on his account. I'll just briefly say that there's two formulations in which God seems to promise that there won't be um, a destruction of the world again. That's at the end of Parakhet, and of course, and that has nothing to do with the rainbow. And then, of course, in Parakhet, with the whole discussion of the rainbow, the 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 idea a second time is introduced that God will no longer destroy the world. A little bit of food for thought. In any case, two issues then for thought for the Shabbat. One being, 
the issue, the issue of the permissibility of eating meat versus vegetarianism. And secondly, the issue of why God is, will no longer destroy the world again. What if the world goes so crazy that the world needs to be destroyed again? Chas In any case, at this point, I would like to introduce a new old uh, segment of the program. In the past, we had Rav Tavori uh, gracing the Arab Shabbat program, discussing different delays throughout. At this point, we will introduce Rav Bick into the program, We'll not be discussing G'dolei Israel, but rather he'll be discussing another element within Parshat Shavua, whether it's Halachic, Agadic, Chazalic element. And uh, we'll introduce Rebek. And before I, I do introduce Rebek, I'll just say Shabbat Shalom to the listeners. Thank you to everyone who wrote back. There were, it's hard for me to know, there were a lot of you, more than ever before. Uh, we didn't quite scratch a minion together. And if you are, are there are listeners out there who still like to know about you. Um, just I'd like to know if there are seven people listening to me, or or fewer. But there are people from you know Paris, from England, from the U.S., from Israel. So that was a lot of fun to see that we have an international listening. And with no further ado, I will introduce our Vic to you and say Shabbat Shalom. There are many places in the uh, Gemara and in the Megrashim where from different uh, psukim, sometimes stories, sometimes psukim, there are learned halachot, sometimes advice, derech eretz, different levels of, of chiyuvim. Uh, but these aren't included as being halachos of the Shulchan Aruch necessarily, uh, or mitzvahs batavah, tayag mitzvahs. But nonetheless, at the very minimum level, they're advice of chazal, and sometimes also they're sort of halachos, but they're not, they're not the same formal halachot. And what we're going to do is, uh, each week, to uh, see what these things are. Some of them are well known, some of them are less well known. And to see where they come from, from the different parashiyot. This week's parashat Noach, um, the ma'amar is actually very well known. I'm sure everybody has heard it at one time or another, but maybe not in context. The Gemara in Erevin, Daf Yudchet. Says, the Gemara gives a principle that one in front of somebody, in someone's presence, one uh, can retell part of the person's praises. And Shlobafanav, Kulo, but not in his presence, then one can uh, recite all of his praises. Praise him fully. And this is learned from Noah. Because when God told Noah to come into the Teva, after he'd finished building it, it began to rain. So, God said to, uh, to Noah, Vayomer Hashem Noah, Bo ata b'chol beitcha el ha-teva, ki otcha ra'iti tzadik lefanai b'dor hazeh. God said to him, come into the Teva, and he told him why he's being chosen. Because I found you to be a tzaddik. Now we know in the beginning of the Pasha, in the previous Pernik, Pasuk Tet, Eda Toldot Noach, the very first Pasuk of the Pasha, Noach is tzaddik, tamim haya bedoratav. 
It says that he was a tzaddik tamim. Both it's either it, both tzaddik and tamim, both righteous and and uh, and complete or perfect, or maybe you've, you've made it together against the trap. Tzaddik tamim, a perfect tzaddik. And even the Gemara uh, uh, learns from that that when God spoke to Noah, He called him a tzaddik. When He spoke to us, He told us kol shvacha that He was a tzaddik tamim. And from this, the Gemara says that's the way one should act. Miktzat shvachoshel adam omlim lefanav. Rashi says that you should we do mikzat shvachu b'fanav. Rashi says derech eretz hu. Word derech eretz has different kind of meanings. It means it's not a, an isur. It's not a prohibition. Derech eretz hu she'afal pi. It's proper behavior. She'afal pi she'adam mishabech et chaveru shel b'fanav harbei. Even if you pray somebody Shilobufanav, not in his presence, a lot, but before him, in his presence, you should not, because you appear to be a flatterer. It appears to be, it appears to be flattery. The, uh, the Masha on the spot says, you know, you, you could have given another explanation, which seems to make a lot of sense. You shouldn't pray somebody fully in his presence because it's not good for him. You can cause him an excess in pride. You might lead to pray somebody uh, it could go to his head. And that's why you shouldn't do it. But that's not what Rashi says. Rashi says that you don't do it because it's not good for you. Now there's, I think the reason why the Masha raises this question is because he thinks his answers actually would appear to be better than Rashi. For a simple reason. Rashi, because he gave the reason of Kinerik and Machnif, that's the reason why Rashi says that it's only Derech Eretz. After all, you, you can't say it's forbidden because you appear to be flattering. You're telling the truth. I mean, what, what's the what's the prohibition here? What, what Rashi's saying is that it's not good form because it appears like flattery. So, it's just not polite. It's just, you know, it's not... It's pasnished. Right? That's what... That's what Derech Eretz means here. There's no prohibition. Uh, and therefore Rashi says that even though it says in the Gemara, Mikzat Shvachav Omrim, B'kulosh Lobofanav, it sounds like this is the way you should do it. Rashi says, yeah, you should do it because it's, it's Derech Eretz, not because it's really an Isu. The, the Masha's reason would be better. It could be an Isu. You should not pray somebody excessively or a lot in front of his face because you could lead him. It's like a kind of lifnei You have the possibility of leading him to sin because gaiva is really a bad, a bad midah. Pride is a bad midah. And by praising him to his face, you will, you will have a bad effect. And therefore, that would make, it's a better interpretation of the Gemara because it's a sur. Why does the Masha say that Rashi interpreted the way he interpreted? Because there's a medrash in, uh, the medrash Rabbah in Beishit on, on this pasuk. It quotes the Gemara. And then the Midrash adds the same thing applies even to God. Even the Misha Amar the Hayaha Even the creator of the world. I think the expression comes to say even somebody who there is no way you can excessively praise him. Whatever you're going to say is going to be too little. Misha Amar Vayah Olam. 
nonetheless, b'fanav, mikzat, and shelo b'fanav, kulo. What's the example? The Midrash quotes the Pasuk. Imru leilokim manorah ma'asecha. Pasuk says, say to God, manorah ma'asecha, how awesome are your actions. But shelo b'fanav, it says, hodu l'ashem kitov, ki olam chasto. Simple interpretation is that in the first case it says Imru Lelokim, so he's speaking to God. Whereas Hodul Hashem, you're not speaking directly to God. It's not in his presence, so to speak. It's a little bit strange to speak of presence of God, not presence of God. In the first case you say Manoah Masacha, how awesome are your actions? Whereas in the second case you say Kitov, Kilolam Chasto, you mention Tov, good, and Chesed, grace, mercy. It seems to be a greater form of, of uh, praise. It sure does not get clear to me why. Nova is partial praise and Tova Chesed is more, but the Mephashim assumed that it was, these were fuller, fuller expressions. Um, now, if you should not praise God fully when you speak to God directly, the Masha concludes that the explanation that it's based on, you will cause the person who you, whom you are praising to be filled with pride, doesn't apply. I mean, we're not worried about causing God to have excessive pride can't happen. In any event, we wouldn't be responsible for it. And therefore, he claims that's why Rashi gave the other explanation, because even before God, you shouldn't be machnif. It's simply bad form to, even before God, to try to say all of God's praises, but you'll succeed in that, because it's just not the way a human being should speak in the presence of somebody else. Uh, You could attempt to flatter God. I'm sure people have tried it. And it's a bad meter for you. It's not good for you to. It's not good for you to do it. And so that's how Masha explains uh, this particular midah. I, I, I saw some mefashim say that based on Rashi, who says that it's derech eretz, that means that it's not really wrong. And I don't know if that's really true. I, the uh, in in the major shraba, I think the uh, one, one of the commentators there says that it means you don't have to do it. It's mutter to cut back on the praise of somebody when speaking before him. But of course, it's perfectly okay to to tell all this praise as well. It's only derech I don't know that's what derech means. And the fact that Rashi says, never kemachnif, sounds like it's a bad thing. It sounds like it's it's really not right to pour it all on, to give all the praise. And uh, But the reason isn't because you're violating a commandment. You're not doing any particularly something that's bad. It's not morally bad. But as Rashi said, as Rashi said, it's not their And we should get used to the fact that there are certain things which are really, I wouldn't say there are so. They're not proper, not because you're doing anything bad, but there are certain standards of proper conduct. And, and one of them is not to, not to, not to pirate on too much. You know, when you sometimes, uh, I think it was being medieval, you speak to the king, but it can happen today too, you know, when you want to butter somebody up. So you just you say so many things about him, not that any of them are incorrect, but there's just no need to say it. Whereas Shalobafana, when you're talking about somebody, somebody else, then you should really tell the truth and, and then Omim et kol et kol shvachal. Okay, so this is learned from the way God spoke of Noah. And the Midrash adds, the Gemara says that's how you should speak of your fellow, and the Midrash says that's how you should speak, in fact, of God, of God Himself. Of course, concerning God, we have a, another Gemara that says that it's impossible to speak 
all of God's Shevach, because the Shevach is infinite. And therefore, the Gemara Bechot says, you shouldn't even come close, because if you start to speak a lot, then when you stop, the question will be asked, why did you stop? There's more. Whereas if you speak only the minimum, then it was understood that you were only speaking the minimum. That's why the Gemara says, in Tefillah we say, these are things which are stated explicitly in the in the Nevi'im, but to start writing your own praise of God, you're bordering on the improper because eventually you're going to have to stop, and whenever you stop, it's going to be too too early. Uh, the other marker that's quoted by the Mephashim is actually found in Pekei of Belaza, where the Pasuk, Mi Malel Gvorot Hashem, Yashmiya Koti Lato, is understood to be saying that, who is allowed to Yimalel Hashem, Mi Malel Gvorot Hashem, Yashmiya Koti Lato. If you're going to speak the greatness of God, then you have to say it all. If you're not going to say it all, it's better perhaps not to speak uh, at, at all. Uh, the Rav, Zatzal, would very often quote these Gemara's. Uh, another Gemara, I think Rashi quotes it in Perusha Torah, Mi Kamocha Be'ilim Hashem, Mi Kamocha Be'ilmim Hashem. The Rav was, spoke about this often, that it's, it's not mutter to, to praise God or to speak to God excessively because the, you're speaking before the king and, and silence is very often the more appropriate way to react. You need a special matter, which could be the fact that the Im said that God is Gadol, Gibov, and Ora, or the Halakha that says you should daven. But that the idea of just talking a lot to God, including praising God, which sounds like a good thing to do, but praise needs to be limited because of this. Mi Madel Gvorot Hashem, Yashmiya Kol Tehi Lato. And the Pekedo says, Afilu Hamalachim, Afilu Malachi Asharait, Enam Yucholin Saper Elam Mikzat Gvorotav. And therefore we restrict ourselves to God's actions, but not trying to encompass His, uh, his thing. And again, the Medrash that we quoted before uh, connects it to a general rule, to before anybody. One should not speak excessively in praise, not because it's not true, but because it's it's not the way, it's not proper proper communication. There are other interesting uh, halachot that I learned from this week's parashan. I mentioned just one without going into it in the one minute that I've given myself to speak. In the very, very next pasuk, when God tells Noah to enter the teva, he then says he should take animals. He says you should take the pure, the pure animals, tohorim, seven, asher lo Torah, he takes a, a pair. The expression, asher lo Torah, those which are not pure. Famous Gemara in Psachim Dav Gimel says that a person should lo yotzi adam davar megunem mipiv. The Torah, which is noted for its attempt at brevity, here used the cumbersome and lengthy expression, Min Asher Lo Torah, when it could have said Min from the impure animals, but said those which are not pure than those which are impure. And the reason is because the Torah is making an effort not to use uh, improper expressions, not to use expressions of Gnai, expressions which are derogatory when you don't have to. As uh, the Mephoshim all point out, 
the word Tamei appears many, many times in Torah. And therefore, the explanation that's given by the Mor on the spot says, if it's relevant, then it's relevant. When the Torah tells you not to eat animals, the unkosher animals, which are called Behemot, Tameot, then they're called Tameot, impure, because that's why you're not allowed to eat them. And therefore, it's important to be derogatory. The Torah is also telling you why you shouldn't eat them, because they're no good. But here, by Noach, there was no particular reason. I was not warning you not to eat them. It's simply telling you how many to take. And therefore, the Torah avoided using an improper expression. The mother said that you should always. So I don't think we often, we do enough. One should be conscious of the way we speak. And sometimes, I think sometimes people will take pride in being, speaking what's called the Hebrew dugri, speaking to the point. Saying it as it is. Calling a spade a spade. And the mother says the opposite. You don't call a spade a spade. You call a spade and not a club. You... If, you don't, if there's no particular need for it, it doesn't have a, a lack of meaning, a lack of clarity in what's being taught, then one should indeed use circumlocutions. One should indeed speak somewhat lengthily in order not to use coarse or derogatory expressions. Shabbat Shalom Umevorach.